2: Between my, between my five podcasts a day, I think I could find something to talk about.
3: <laughs> right on. You got a little left in the tank. That's all I need. <laughs> You're listening to Cobras and Fire, a Pantheon podcast. Today, we remember Megaforce Records founder, Johnny Z, with special guests, former Anthrax singer Neil Turbin, and from the classic metal show, Chris Aiken. My name is Baco, and today my plus one is from the Classic Metal Show. We've had him on before, and he's always a welcome uh, guest to come back. Chris Aiken, how are you this evening? I'm good, man. How you been? You know, um, like we were talking off air, been busy uh, in a productive way. Happy to do that, and everything's pretty good. You know, I mean, I could complain about the aches and pains of getting older, but that's really about it.
2: Yep, same here, man. It's you, you know you can sit around and whine about it or you can sit around and do something. And you know, same here. I've I've been staying super super busy with a myriad of projects and a myriad of podcasts and TV and everything else. So uh, fun times. Not going to complain.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I, Joe Walsh at it best. I can't. I can. I can complain. I can't complain, but sometimes I still do. Uh, life, right. Life's been good. <laughs> I, I, yep. Anyway, uh, well, I have you on today to talk about, I don't know, we'll see, we'll take the, the conversation wherever it goes, but this is going to sure. be a kind of a tribute to Johnny Z, the founder of uh, Megaforce Records, who passed away from COPD complications, is, is the news I read anyway. I don't even know what the hell that is, really, other than there's commercials selling you know, uh, prescription drugs about it. I've heard the term sure. before. But, uh, of course, his wife, uh, Marsha, uh, sadly passed away about almost a year to the, you know, pretty close to a year mm-hmm. prior to him, uh, January 2021. Uh, uh, she, she passed of cancer. But anyway, uh, we're talking about them. But let's uh, not to bring everybody down. Of course, John and Marcia, I mean, as a guy like me, I got to know them as like that, that name at the bottom of all the Megaforce records. Uh, sure. And you, you, as time went on and that, that whole scene kind of blew up, you got to know a little bit more about them um, with the whole rock and roll heaven moving from a flea market to a, like an actual brick and mortar store, that kind of stuff. Why don't I just kind of kick it to you and... Um what 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 like what are your memories as far as like you know finding out about Mega Forest Johnny Z Metallica all the bands he went out like uh, what was the first thing you thought of when you when you heard the news? Uh, you,
2: you know when I first heard it, I, I mean obviously like everybody else, I was I was super sad. I, I mean that's there's guys in this business that that pass away, and we've all had our heroes pass away, whether it's Dio or Dimebag or you know Peter Steele, whoever it is that you like. And there's a few, very few of those guys that are really trans transcend metal itself. And and Johnny Z, he's bigger than a band. You know, is, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I know most people don't know his name. You know, most people that they, they hear the name Johnny Z, they have no idea who that is. You know, right. e- even metalheads really don't know. But I, I'll argue all day long if you listen to metal and especially heavier music, it's because of Johnny Z. Johnny Z you know at at the time and i and i grew up right in that era you know i'm 53 so in the early 1980s up was when i was becoming a metalhead you know as a person and i was like every other kid at the time i'm listening to ynt and quiet riot and autograph you know that that's what i was listening <laughs> to and um you know then because of johnny z really solely he he was the guy that signed took his risk mortgaged his house and signed Metallica and people can't even comprehend it now but there was nothing like that I mean just nothing when when you heard a Metallica you were like what in the hell is this you know mm-hmm. it it wasn't even it didn't even resemble what was being called heavy metal at the time
3: Not the, at all
2: you know, I mean, the, what what people thought was the most crazy heaviest metalist stuff at the time was like Black Sabbath. People thought that was like the insane metal. And then all of a sudden you get Metallica 300 miles an hour and screaming and, and, you know, people didn't comprehend that at all, certainly as a, as a medium that, that could be profitable. And, the fact that Johnny Z saw it and even thought he could sell it in his record store, let alone sell, you know, becoming the biggest band in the in the history of heavy metal, uh, you know, what a vision this guy had. He was a true visionary. Wow. And when you look at the yeah, laundry on list on that big-
3: point, okay. just uh, on that point, just real quick, because I think that's that's one of the facts You you touched on a couple things I like to hit on. The sure. whole taking the risk financially stuff like that, you know, signing Metallica, it, you know, just so people understand, because you know, if you you don't care that that's fine, but that wasn't a financial boon for Metallica either. They were that was more no. like uh, Johnny Z, like I'm going to pay for all this stuff just so it can be out there as a product, uh-huh. um, and then it turned into what it is. But the other thing is that like. You also don't start a record company like Megaforce or Metal Blade or Combat. You know what I mean? Brian Slagle did very much the West Coast version of Johnny Z. Um, You don't do that at that time with that music, with the idea that, like, oh, boy, this is going to be the next Springsteen. Like, Columbia Records signed Springsteen with the the goal of Springsteen becoming what he did. Sure. Or, Or Michael Jackson. Johnny Z signs Metallica with the idea, like, I hope I break even because this shit's awesome. You know, I mean, right. uh, you know, so that kind of it was very much like punk in that sense. You know,
2: yeah, no, it, it definitely was. I mean, he, but but just to do it, you know, just right. just taking a risk like that is like you know. And he was, I believe, he was married at the time that he did it. And I mean, how do you come home to your wife? And and, and I mean, I, I I that's the biggest one to me. How do you come home with your to your wife and say? Listen to this. You've never heard anything this bizarre and crazy. I'm going to mortgage our house to promote this. How do you do that? How do you how do you get away with that? You know. And,
3: now, did you and sh- uh, take to Metallica right away? I, I heard Kill Em All with probably within a year of it coming out, and there was a couple things that clicked with me, but for the most part, I was like, "Well, this isn't going anywhere." It, it took a while for me to really grasp Thrash. I think.
2: Yeah, you know, I. I kind of did I different reason though. I um before I ever heard Metallica, I saw Metallica. And um okay. It, it was at the CM it was I was at the wow. CMJ convention in 84 maybe. And um is either 80 I think it was 84. And um they were playing I I went with my high school. My high school had a radio station and we went as our field trip to the CMJ for 4 days in Washington. Damn. And um and they had this ballroom that just had bands playing constantly in the ballroom, all you know, day and night. And you could go in in the ballroom and just see music. And the big acts were like um, Benjamin Orr from what was he what, from the Cars? From the cars or, yeah, yeah, or Left-handed. Yellow. <laughs> remember yellow the oh yeah that band
3: <laughs> i didn't know No, i know the oh yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> they they had that they had that you, you would know it if you heard it it's in a lot of movies yeah but um but Is it the,
3: that oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. we use that it on our show guy, all the time i didn't know it was an actual band i thought it was yeah, uh, that,
2: that was an artist known as yellow okay and um and um there was a couple of others that were loudness was there they were like kind Ooh, of the nice. big one of the metal bands And there was a nobody band called Metallica. I didn't know anything about them. And we were supposed to be in our hotel rooms. The hotel was connected to the CMJ, where the CMJ was held. Like, they they used the conference rooms in the hotel. And we were supposed to be in our rooms at like 9 o'clock because we were kids. Yeah. (laughs) But I did what I did. I snuck out, and I, I snuck into this ballroom. And I go in the ballroom, and there's no more than 10 people in the ballroom. And Metallica who I didn't know who they were came out. It's like 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, whatever it is, and just raged. And they played better or with, with more fire than any time I've seen them in front of 20,000 people. They just came out and destroyed for 10 people. And, you know, so that, that right then I, I became a fan. And the, the funny thing is on the last day of this thing, all the bands had these little booths signed, like set up. And you kind of walk through with a bag, and you just collected tchotchkes, you know, whether it was koozies <laughs> or keychains or whatever,
3: you know, autographs, swag, whatever. baby.
2: Yeah. And I went up to the booth, and in the little booth with Metallica was um, Hetfield and uh, Lars were sitting there, hmm. and um, I, I said to to Hetfield, I said, Hey, you know, it was it was very cool, you know, seeing you guys. I didn't know anything about you. It's great, blah blah blah, and he was like. Oh, you were there, you know, like he didn't realize that there's like ten of us that were standing in front of him. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like, you know,
2: and 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 I was like, yeah, So then he tells Lars, and Lars grabs an album of Ride the Lightning, which I don't remember if it was out yet or if it was just about to come sure. out, but he he takes it and he scribbles real big on it. He writes, "Buy our shit, please." on it is covers the whole album cover and he hands it to me and he goes just remember you better support us man and i was like okay we'll do (laughs) and i still have the album i still have it today
3: That's pretty, I'm sorry. so 84, I would have been like 13, um... And I definitely wasn't in your high school, so uh, we did, we did not a <laughs> cool field. We went we we had uh, trips to the, the local ski slopes slopes here in Minnesota, which are kind of sad. But
2: uh. yeah, yeah, it it was very lucky, man. I mean, it was just a lucky chance meeting, and it's just one of the it's one of the many memories that I have that led me on this path to being this metal guy, you know, and in front of one of these all the damn
3: time, right? You man. know, it just yeah, led we me we down all that have path. our own journey, right? I mean, it, it's almost what kind sure. of brings us together is to kind of hear these kind of stories uh i i understand that you actually went to rock and roll heaven now would this be the brick and mortar or the uh the the flea market brick and mortar okay so so tell me about that what was that like did you actually get to meet johnny or anything like that
2: yeah i did you know another another one of these it's a meant to be type of a story um, I I used to I was a I was a really good baseball player here in Ohio. I was all state baseball player a couple of years. Damn. And the goal, my my parents' goal, Humble, was right? for me to go to college and blah blah blah. You know the whole the whole deal. Not and, not, um, not, not so, the minors. No, no, <laughs> not at all. But they used to send me every summer to um. To New York, it was either Rick Sarone or Lee Mazzilli, depending on which year I went. Um, to baseball camp up at um, CW Post College in New York, they would they would send me up there for like ten days every every year. It was something that they saw in the Sporting News or something. Remember the old Sporting yeah. News newspaper? Yeah. And they saw it, and it was you know it was coached by the the Mets and the the Yankees, and you got to meet all the players and. You know, I have great stories about that too. I actually caught Dwight Gooden, which was like the coolest thing ever. Caught Dwight Gooden wow. his rookie year. <laughs> which was that that was intense,
3: but um man, there's names but, being dropped left and right, uh, right now, but uh
2: I know I'm dropping all your youth names.
3: <laughs> Doc Gooden, but, baby.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, he was awesome, but but no, so while we were there, I was, by that point, I was, like, getting into metal and rock, and, you know, I, I was getting all the magazines, the Hip Raider, Metal Edge, whatever was out at the time, I don't think Metal Edge was out at the time, but, like, Hip Raider Circus, um, you know, those magazines, and I was I was that kid, I was, hey, Motley Crue on the cover, let me read cover to cover, and I'm learning about, you know, every dumb band like them, White Lion, and blah, 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 and... <laughs> you just called and, White and, Lion and you, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure you remember in the back of those magazines, they had like the advertising sections. Yeah. Where where people would advertise their shit. And one that I saw every time was Rock and Roll Heaven. I saw it advertised all the time.
3: Man, I don't remember that. I can't believe that.
2: I, they, they, I trust
4: they you, used to, but... They, yeah,
3: I, because I I went through there, that. Man. I remember Kix always had a tiny little black and white ad. Sure. Uh, but that's the record label, but you're talking that part where people are actually like posting stuff. I think I yeah. met my got my Kiss Pen Pal in the back of Circus Magazine through that, but
2: <laughs> Yeah, same same exact thing. And I just remember I while we were out that way, I asked my dad if we could go to this record store because I wanted to you know, I wanted to see it because I I had you know, read the advertisement advertisement a bunch of times, and he agreed, and we went over to the store after when he picked me up from baseball camp. and um, I went in and it, I mean it, it, being honest, it wasn't like groundbreaking and wasn't this crazy <laughs> amazing store. It was a store. It was like any other record store, really. It just had mostly metal. And I remember the the lone time I got to meet Johnny was in that store. I went up and I was trying to buy something. I don't remember what it was. It was probably like Motley Crew or Helix or something Helper Skelter like
3: picture that. disc by chance.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it was just it was just something hair metally. And he looked at it as I came up to to buy it and he goes, "Don't buy that." And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "He's like, here, buy this instead." And he hands me um, Ravens, all for one record. Hmm. He's like, "He's like, this is much better. Buy this." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And I bought it. And I, again, another one. I still have it, you know. And um, that's a good record, man. Yeah, it it is a good record. I'm not the biggest Raven fan, but um, I, I. I still remember the story, especially as time grew on and Johnny's, you know, legacy became, I was like, wow, that's the guy that sold me this, (laughs) you know? And, and again, it, it took me, it was yet another step taking me to the different path where I was just such a hair metal, you know, and rock guy. And slowly but surely the influences that I was running into were kind of leading me into the heavier direction, which, you know i'm thankful beyond thankful for because you know it it consumes my life daily even now i mm.
3: i i think one of the attractions to johnny at least for someone like myself cuz his death actually kind of like hit me a little harder than i i probably would have anticipated um Because I didn't know the man or anything like that. Uh, Is that like you know, like you you know, I'm a guy who actually thought like if I there's a chance I could be a huge rock star. You know what I mean? I I chased Mm -hmm. that dream, Um, but there's something very relatable to, to what Johnny Z did. The idea that like I literally probably could have done that if I would like. There's just this like relatability to that that thing. But I have to say, there's one thing about him that that you have to give it up for is that he had an ear. Like because oh. like 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 I touched on is that like there it wasn't like the like the world was clamoring for the next you know like Metallica kind of thing in 1983. This was new. This was brand new. And like he like like he actually like rejected bands based on like you know like well you told Anthrax you know keep working keep working that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um you're just not there yet, like in his in you know. And to my knowledge, he did he didn't play an instrument or anything like that, but he just know. had his his pulse on like this kind of music and and just being able to like have that vision. And again, I don't think his vision was ever like, "Oh man, I am going to be the the richest man in Long Island," uh, or right. I'm not sure what what, what uh, which one of the five boroughs he's from. But you know what I'm getting at. You know, yeah. I think it was more like like, "Man, this is fucking awesome. We need to get it out there. I can probably break even, and we'll be okay." Uh, yeah. But just but that that almost like a tastemaker, like like he he understood what he was doing, and like he, Anthrax, Metallica, Overkill, uh, Raven. Um, Testament. Te- oh, fuck testament. But it was kind of like more at this point, the, the label had success and kind of broadened out when he br- bringing in like Ace Freely and Icon for kind mm-hmm. of a rebirth. But
2: no, he did. He 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 really he his 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 ear was above anybody. And, you know, one of the thing, one of the other things that I don't think he gets any credit for, and it's really more of a force thing. But he had a unique ability of surrounding himself with people of equal vision. And you know, I, I mean, obviously Eddie Trunk is the most famous guy that came from Megaforce, I mm-hmm. think, other than Johnny. And um, you know, say what we will, we all beat on Eddie sometimes, but you can't argue that the guy, the guy, definitely, you know, had an impact on that world. Of course. And and, and there's other guys today, you know, that are still in the business today that were part of that. Very early team with Megaforce. Like I, I have my friend Michael Mazer is a he's a he's a publicist guy now, and he owns his own PR firm. But he um, he was part of that team, and just talking to to him a lot, which you know he's a personal friend, so I talked to him a lot about those days. He he tells me about how Johnny was so like locked into it, and and he says the same things like about Brian Slagle too. That Slagle was another one that just kind of. Slagle could, and, and it is weird if you've ever talked to Brian Slagle, I don't know if you ever have, but nope. Slagle, Slagle will tell you in, if you give him 10 seconds of 10 bands, he'll tell you which ones are going to make it. He's He has a crazy, crazy vision where he can just hear something and know, okay, well, we could do this, or this could be molded, or this could be pushed. And I don't think Johnny was that hands-on. I think Johnny just sort of knew. I don't think yeah. Johnny was ever really telling bands, Okay, well you need to add another guitar player and change your singer. I don't think he was that guy. I think he was much more of a I can see where this works or I can see how how this could be good. And he would tell the bands that and then the bands would would grow based off of that. I and mean, just amazing vision, man. There's not many guys like that out there.
3: Well the the people listening to this probably don't know this name, but I gotta believe you do. Maria Ferraro uh, oh yeah, yeah publicist yeah. for a journal and PR. Um, well, she was the first person that Johnny hired, uh, uh-huh. basically, you know. So, and she's still doing it. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, how how ironic that when when did Megaforce start? Eighty
3: three, eighty two, something like that. That was wasn't it founded just so he could? He wanted to like get Metallica. Well, you know, he, he heard Metallica and said, "I should start a record label."
2: Yeah, I mean that 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 is the the story behind it. So it's it's in that early early '80s period, and we all know people that worked there. You know, like you said, Maria, my friend Michael, yep. Eddie Trunk. You know, these are these are people that are still in the business forty whatever years later. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's crazy.
3: I'm still trying to get Maria to give me five ten minutes. Uh, hopefully, she won't be like a, a Neil Turbin thing uh, where it runs on too much. Uh, I just just to hear kind of some of her thoughts and in tribute to him. Uh, and speaking of that, I'll just tease it right now. At a certain point here, we will be uh, dropping in um, my conversation with Neil Turbin, where we kind of get into uh, uh, you know his thoughts and, and, and memories of, of Johnny Z, you know, being in Anthrax when they signed his stuff. So,
1: well, I met Johnny Z back in 1982. So I've known Johnny for a while and in Marsha. And, uh, you know, when I was with Anthrax, we used to go. Scott had this uh, car. He had this, this brown. It was not a Grand. It was like a Grand Prix or a Monte Carlo, something like that. You know, like a 1977 or 76, a pretty fancy hot rod car for back in those days when we were kids, you know. So we would he would pick us up, you know, at that point my car was uh toast you know so we we drove you know across the bronx and across the bridge and across uh or the tunnel to go to new jersey and out to new jersey so we're coming from queens we live near each other in bayside new york scott lived in the ritzy area of bay terrace and so did dan loker and or he looked dan Loker lived right near there i lived in the not as fancy part and uh The more hood part. (laughs) And then we would, they would pick me up and then we'd go over to Rock and Roll Heaven, which was in a flea market originally in uh, New Jersey. So we would go visit Johnny Z and he'd have, you know, all of these releases from, you know, these imported LPs and picture disks he We'd have, you know, bands that, you know, some, some of us never heard of, you know, unless you read Kerrang!, unless you read, you know, NME was it new music express or something from, from UK. And, um, you know, some of the other publications, art Shock from, from Holland, from Netherlands, you know, metal hammer, eventually, you know, some of the different magazines were out in those days, but it was pretty much Kerrang. You know, it was mm-hmm. the earlier days of Kerrang, when it was really a metal publication or metal was really heavy metal was really accepted and, and heavy metal is different than whatever people are thinking that it is today that might be watching this so it's really a different thing i mean white snake was heavy metal
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: that was people might say that's not heavy metal that was heavy metal aerosmith was in there you know um it was it was bands that that anything that had a distorted guitar <laughs> right or a vocal or a vocal that kind of pushed the envelope a bit or or not you know I, I think the the, the probably where the, the place where you'd call it would probably be like Dire Straits or U2, you know, like there's probably a place where it's not really Kerrang material, but right. even some of those bands ended up in there. So we were excited about going to see Johnny Z. He had these magazines that were like the holy grail. You know, it told us what the scene was internationally. At that time it was an exciting scene. You had international bands. You had loudness from Japan singing in Japanese, the way I really liked it. Okay. And you had you had bands from Germany singing in German, which is the way I really liked it. You had bands like Warning from France singing in French. Sortilege singing in French. You had these amazing bands globally. And you had bands that were on shrapnel records and Metal Blade. And you had you know, and this is just the beginnings, even before like you know, there was like the, the the, the, the compilation album from Metal Blade where they put out you know different bands and that's when you started learning about oh, this band has a demo tape where they put it out on an album and that's where a lot of things kind of started happening for bands and then, you know, so Johnny Z was really the guy that was pushing this and then you had Bleaker Bobs, okay, in the village in New York so Bleaker Bobs also had the vinyl they had a quite a you know, serious inventory, and they had all the cool picture discs, and they had a, a great spot right on 8th, 8th Street in the village. So it's like you would go there, and you would find your vinyl at Bleeker Bob's, and you pay for it. But then you go to Johnny Z's Rock and Roll Heaven, Johnny and Marsh's uh, booth at the, the market there mm-hmm. in Old Bridge, New Jersey, and you would find, you know, the latest, greatest, rarest stuff. So, you know, there was competition for, for Rock and Roll Heaven, Gleeker Bobs and some others. You know, you had one out in um, Long Island as well. You know, different areas, different regions. But pretty much Johnny Z was the East Coast. I mean, you know, and then he got into doing the shows. And that's kind of how Scott and myself and Dan Loker, you know, we we... He started going out there and some of the other guys didn't really go out there as much that were in the band I mean Charlie and Frankie were not in the band at that time so that that, that came way after you mm-hmm. they joined after this is 1982 so they joined later so um, you know at that point we're trying to sell I think it was our second demo before we went and did a third demo so the second demo you know we're still kind of moving from the the, the more uh, traditional heavy metal. Johnny, you know, I want to say this about John Zazula. Johnny was a hard-nosed, very sharp, you know, very shrewd. Shrewd. I want to use the right words here. Mm-hmm. So very hard-nosed. He was tough. And he was no... Johnny was no bullshit. That was his personality. No bullshit. Like, definitely John Zazula. And, and then he was also... Um, like, he was not a pushover. He's not someone that you're going to hand a tape and say, or his or her tape, you know, sign us up. Like, what is this crap, you know? Right. But he but he won't say that. You know, he wouldn't say this is crap. Look, you know, you guys keep working at it, you know, and come back and see me. Or, you know, he wasn't even wanting to see you. Like, don't come back and see me, but keep working at it. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Did you you trust him, though?
3: like, Like, he had an ear. You could tell early on that, like, when you met him, that, like, he knew what he was talking about
1: when he would say something like that? Johnny had an ear. He had an ear for what was, you know, it was, you know, he understood this kind of music. And he came from, you know, Grateful Dead and Rolling Stones and, you know, Blue Cheer and you know, and, and cream. And, you know, he came from Woodstock and he came from Jimi Hendrix. He came from, you know, the sixties and the seventies. And so he understood that music, but he also was a visionary in the sense of, you know, he, he had, he signed man he signed ace freely. He signed King's X, he signed anthrax, he signed Metallica. I mean, I'm not going in the right order, he signed bands, and then later on, he signed Testament, you know, Legacy. He signed Overkill. I mean, he understood not so much what... I don't know that he was necessarily thinking, like... I, I know he was thinking profit margin, you know. Yeah, there's right. definitely, like, make money. But it was not just that. It was it was going in a direction of a certain style or a certain sound. You know, it was much more than just, you know, You if, if you want to go into business and make money, there's probably better things you can do than music, especially these days. And back then, it wasn't m- much different. It was hard. It was tough. And back in the uh, days, you know, with Johnny Z at, in New Jersey at, at Old Bridge, um, you know, I had a lot of experiences there. I've been there many times to rock and roll heaven. I mean, I hung out there with Metallica walking through the aisles of the flea market. I mean, you know, once you get past Johnny Z's booth, you know, the rock and roll heaven, you're looking at, uh, you know, you're looking at you're looking at you know like clothes for your kids or or like a
3: washing machine or something flea markets are a lot different in minnesota neil
1: (laughs) this is back in you know yeah early 80s but it was freaking cool i mean i can't even tell you how amazing that store was and you know scott was the only one that had enough you know that had wads of cash to go and buy all these, these releases, you know, all of these picture discs and all of these rare you know, I was lucky if I had two dollars in my pocket you know, five dollars, you know, you could buy a slice of pizza in those days for a dollar the moral of the story is Johnny Z I have huge respect for him and Marsha and you know, I'm, I'm you know, my, deep, my deepest sympathies to Ricky Zazula and the Zazula family and to Maria Ferreira, Ferraro, and, uh, um, and Pat Oswaldo, who runs the medal hall of fame, you know, mm-hmm. for making this happen because without them and Maria, Johnny and Marsha, you know, we never would have got to reconnect like we did and reunite and, you know, th- there's no reason for, for uh, you know, misperceptions. I mean, these things happen and I was young too, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know everything. I still don't. I'm still learning. I'm still okay. a student. And Johnny Z gave me that opportunity. He extended the olive branch and Marsha Z did. So that was wonderful. And I'm forever grateful for that because, you know, you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the things in the world, but all you've got that when you leave is relationships and, and who you lifted up and who you, you know, the connections that you made. And B.B. King, who I've met and was on his tour bus in 1999. He said to me, Neil is from here to here. Well, well, Neil, I
3: really do got to go. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you giving me some of your time, though, and sharing these stories. Um, I know the listeners are going to enjoy it, and uh, you know it, it's 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 truly it's it's kind of fun to talk to someone like you and just kind of live, you know, because I, I I was a Minnesota boy. I was ten years younger than you. You know what I mean? All this stuff was hitting me, and and you're out there living this. So uh, again, thank you for your time. Um, rest in peace, Johnny Z. Uh, and and I, I I wish I could have met the guy myself to tell him how thankful I am for the impact he made on. On, on my life and, and millions of others
1: yeah he helped a lot of bands he helped make careers he helped make people very wealthy and he helped a lot of people have you know careers and, and opportunities and from my perspective you know it was an experience and I, I just am grateful that I had the opportunity to reconnect and it's uh, you know a relationship that was healed and that was uplifted for, for all involved so I, I think that's really the, the beautiful thing that that I I in part from John Z and from Marsha Zazula as well and uh, and from everybody that, that made that happen so I'm very you know eternally grateful for that and you know rest in peace John Zazula uh, a great man and a you know someone that made Thrash put Thrash Metal on the map I mean oh, yeah. and they, they put Metallica out there they put Anthrax out there they put Testament out there overkill I mean you know on and on and on so thank you Johnny Zazula And thank you, Marcia Cezula.
3: So that was from Neil Turbin. For people unaware, he was the original singer from Anthrax. I spoke to him for about an hour just before I I called you up here, Chris, and got you on the horn. So anybody that wants to see or hear the entire interview, it will be available on YouTube, the Cobras and Fire YouTube page, on Wednesday night. I think it goes live about 6 p.m. Central. But from that point, it will be on at all. But, yeah, we we talked for almost an hour. So if you're interested in that, he gets into quite a, a bunch of different topics. Topic, si, and if you're a fan of that, that scene in that era, I guarantee you'll like it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was so much about the Megaforce stuff that I started thinking about when, when when I heard the news. And one of the first ones was that, like, remember, like, you know, when, when like, Combat and Megaforce kind of came out, how cheap their, their logos looked compared to, like, the big labels and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. you see them and they're almost exactly the same. And it's like, that is just classic. That yeah, is just you know, beautiful. It, I want that on a hoodie. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly.
2: You just look at it and you're like, that is heavy metal. You know? They, yep. And, and I don't know if it was that it... I don't know that it what is that it wasn't cheesy, because I think it was cheesy, but mm. I think it... I think the industry adapted to it. I don't think it adapted to the industry at all.
3: It was the know? early days of graphic design. You know what I mean? You kind of yeah. did what you had to. I mean, look at some of those album covers, you know?
2: hmm Well, that's it. I mean, when... Uh, You know, when you look at the early Megaforce logo or or the combat and all that stuff, you know that shit was drawn with a pen. That wasn't. It's not like you had some guy sitting there tweaking every little corner with Photoshop or with Illustrator. That was some kid with a pen that had spent his life drawing Van Halen logos on the back of his um, trapper keeper.
3: You know, (laughs) yeah, that's me, man. Yeah, Uh, that's still how I do any artwork for my band. But uh, well, it's been a while since I've had to do anything. But you know, you you understand.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. what, what are your, some of your, let's get into some of the, the, what are your top five, I don't know. Just get, I don't we don't need to rank anything here. Megaforce albums, what are your, uh, what, what are some of the standouts in the Chris Hakin collection?
2: Oh, my God. Um. Jeez. I mean, the the, the earliest, the, the, it's the stuff everybody likes, the anthrax, the overkill, you know, um, you know. Obviously the, the early earliest of Kill 'em all if you have it. You know? Yeah. You know You know, um I, I've never been a label guy per se. That that's one of the weird things, like I've never been that guy that's like, Oh man Warner Brothers has this, or Atlantic. You know, it's Same. honestly, I've always, I've always hated, I've always hated the business so much that I really didn't care who was paying the bills. I think, it, <laughs> you don't, don't you think I it's a little cared-
3: different when you're talking about like a, I don't know, a sub pop or a, a Megaforce? Because I, I, never felt that way about Geffen or Atlantic. Or although I always thought Polygram had the the worst packaging um like yeah they, they had the worst long boxes they had the worst cassette cases it was like they sure but but th- that had nothing to do with the music and enigma i don't know what it was about enigma cassettes but they always sounded the worst
2: yeah yeah but, the the one thing that i remember most about the quality was capital capital cassettes for whatever reason <laughs> if you bought a cassette that came out on capital within a month you had a straight white cassette that because all the ink was would just wear oh, off. I forgot the cap. about that. Like, like it was almost like it was written with a marker.
3: Like they used you know, the wrong. It was so ink. bad. It needed it, to be the, heat sensitive or something. Yeah. Oh, I forgot yeah. all about that, Chris. And, Damn. And,
2: and I have I have a lot of useless knowledge I can share. <laughs> uh,
3: I'm right there with you. Uh, at least I'll, I'll try to keep up anyway. But I'm sure I yeah. I,
2: uh, I can do a lot of dumb stuff. I just loved all that early early stuff. I mean, for me personally. I don't know that I was necessarily focused on the labels or whatever. I was just focused on cool bands. And I I was I was that kid in my high school like all when all my friends were listening to Van Halen, I was down the Black Sabbath road. Okay. And you know, and Metallica and you know, when when all that stuff came out, you know, um, there were very I'll put it this way, there were very few bands that people Universally loved that I universally loved, you know. I mean, there were a couple. There were I like I really liked Rat. I really kind of liked Motley Crue. But when all my friends were just Gaga about those bands, I was more like, yeah, give me some Judas Priest or whatever. You know, I quickly wanted to be into that the heavier heavier metal kid. I guess
3: very much the same. Um, and and the, the, I grew up. In a very very small town, like my class was forty two or forty three total kids in through grade school Mm -hmm. when when I got into Kiss, Um, and there was me, one other dude in my class, and my sister, and those are the only three people in my universe that I knew that liked this band. And you know you're you're seven years old, so you don't realize that if you're on the cover, you know that just because everybody you know doesn't like them, you don't get on the cover of magazines if you're not popular of some sort. Sure. So I kind of felt like you know I had to hide it to a certain extent. You know, I remember at my birthday <laughs> right. parties I would actually hide my Kiss records and you know because I didn't I felt I was gonna get made fun of and stuff. But it, <laughs> but that carried on. You know what I mean? It, it was actually a relief when Kiss became cool with Lick It Up and Animalize. Um, and then yeah, but I'm with you. I mean. I've always kinda of tended towards definitely the heavier and heavier, and the weird thing is I thought as I got older I'd get lighter and i- I think I had my light kind of pop music phase in my late twenties or early thirties but man the, the the older I get the it seems like the more I wanna just just burn sure. and just you know get in there so i i am glad that that side of me hasn't changed too much it doesn't mean I can't appreciate stuff like the you that uh isn't you know sure aggressive and things of that nature but the fact that like that's kind of how i still push is you know again you know thanks johnny (laughs)
2: yeah well that's exactly it dude i i read a study somewhere our it may not have been a study it was at least a statement that said that ours ours will be the first generation whose music is heavier than our kids generation nice you know when when you when you look at the history of of pop popular music and selling music, it gets he- increasingly heavier and more rockin as you've gone along. If you go you know go all the way back to the doo wop days and stuff, you know you have that sound. And then you had Elvis, who was significantly more rockin. Then you had the Beatles. Then you had the Stones. Then in the seventies, you had you know the Black Sabbath. And then in the you know the eighties you had what Judas Priest, Metallica, yeah. Slayer, blah 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 blah, and you know all the way up to like two thousand where you get like corn and stuff, and then you have what you have now. And right. what do you have now? You have stuff that's less heavy or emo or you know the emo core stuff. And I mean there's other there's still heavy stuff out there, but there's not there there's not anything that's redefining genres and taking it to another heavier level anymore. It it really does seem like it's plateaued and it is actually starting to slow back down a little bit. I mean, there's, there's a reason that there's 10,000 bands that sound like dirty honey. Now, you know, there, and it's because (laughs) it's, it's it's because it's coming back down a little bit, you know, it's really mellowing out and you know what, I'm never going to mellow out. I'm the same as you, man. I, i still am listening to you know my stuff gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier it's you know just yesterday i'm listening to the new immolation record and i'm like yes you know (laughs) you know and and my kids would hear the immolation and they'd be like what is this you know yeah my my kid's favorite band is winger for god's sakes and it's like how did that happen but (laughs) what the
0: hell
3: How do they even find out about Winger,
2: dude? Not a, and this this is it's it's this is the embarrassing moment of the show here. But not only is my kid's favorite band Winger, but his favorite Winger album is not even one of the good ones. It's Winger Four. It's,
3: is <laughs> that know, after? It's I like, assume it's after Pull.
2: It's after Pull. Yeah, it's it's like the one with the army guy on the cover. I think.
3: Oh my god. Uh, you know Chris, I just found out yesterday that the Doors did a record without Jim Morrison and uh what? my my entire Yeah, apparently you did. No, I, I was like didn't think I could drop that one. Yeah, we uh we uh we do a show called March Badness. Which we bring on Chris and Aaron from Decibel Geek, and we okay. all do like a an NCAA bracket tournament of horrible records, and sure. then people vote on them, and then the, whatever wins uh, is the record we do an episode on. Um, but yeah, uh, Chris brought up a Doors record. It was post Jim Morrison, like '72, and apparently there's two of them. Uh, but yeah, I was just so I, I I just found out there's a, a a winger record called Four. And uh, there's Jim Morrison, <laughs> or post-Jim Morrison uh, Doors record. I can't even, Ray Manzarek apparently sings.
2: So. Oh, yuck. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that's good at all, but. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs>
3: you know, well, I don't know what you think of the Doors, but yeah, that that's a band that, you know, they. I mean, if Led Zeppelin calls it quits because their drummer's out, and by the way, Amazing drummer uh sure. the doors you gotta call it quit, although you know what if the doors were around nowadays they'd be just Stone tempo pilots kind of thing, like we're gonna try yeah. this singer for a while so
2: well i i be honest, I'm surprised it isn't uh somebody still alive from the doors, man's Eric's still alive right or.
3: I think so. Uh, well, they did like a like a tour with um, the cult singer, Ian. which I thought, yeah, yeah that, that that was legit. I, I didn't mind that kind of stuff. It would see more like in tribute, kind of like what Queen did with Paul Rogers, and
2: sure. I guess to
3: a little bit with the, that American Idol guy whose name I'm, I'm, I'm Adam doing, Lambert. Adam, Adam Lambert. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful because I hate the show. I just honestly couldn't remember.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know damn well if they would have come out twenty years later, they'd still be, they'd still be running around. They'd be you know they'd be playing with the one the one man version of dokken and the no man yeah. version of of quiet riot and you know they'd be right on there they'd be doing it too i'm that's, sure they would
3: that's a weird legacy we have of of, of the the era of music we grew up with is that like cuz you don't see the grungers doing it quite as much um, and you really don't have well, i guess there's a handful like grand funk is kind of silly right now i'm just trying to think of 70s bands that are doing the same thing you, you
2: know what if you if you really dig into it though they do. You know, I
3: mean look at look at even like the Eagles. But they don't do you these know? 80 like these like these 80s fests are everywhere and it's all these kind of like hodgepodge versions of bands that we loved maybe still do that that that, that that's not I'm not trying to shit on anybody but there there there're very few of them. You know, like are are cohesive. Winger I think has all four members still.
4: Yeah. They um,
3: do but uh <laughs> your kids you, you, your kids have that going for them but uh i just I, you don't really see that kind of level of at least i don't know like like you're right it, it is there if you yeah. dig deep enough but i don't know
2: Well, I, I think the difference is is that the um the 80s bands didn't do didn't do quite as well as the, the the 70s bands that are still around were so much bigger that you know, the you know they get away with it without as okay. much scrutiny. They weren't they weren't on MTV as much to where you knew the faces. But let's be honest, Leonard Skinner is either still out there or just announced <laughs> retirement. And I don't was there one guy left in that band? That's Maybe. a ten person band or whatever. And yeah, you know obviously the Eagles. The Eagles are now the e the, the Eagles without Glenn Fry to me are Don Henley solo band. That's not the Eagles. And, I,
3: I'm gonna just you know, add, um, uh, on my own uh, from my end. I'm gonna eliminate any band that can still draw a a, a, a good crowd at over a hundred dollars a ticket. They 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 get for whatever reason if it's working at pass. that level, yeah. But if you're like uh, playing the lounge on Monsters of Rock cruise, that's what I'm talking about. There isn't like that glut okay. of those bands from the '70s or post '80s doing that kind of well, stuff. There, there's some, but you know, it just it seems like that's where the the money is. You know. Although well, I guess it's I,
2: because those guys are all it's because those guys are all 80 years old, though.
3: Yeah, you got to that's point. probably
2: why. You know? Yeah. You know, I is, mean, yeah, do you really want to see do you really want to see four 80 year old guys touring as BTO?
3: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> well, are any of the Bachmans left? Randy is still alive, isn't he? Okay. Nope. I, I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, but I, I, you know, on that note, uh, uh, I do. I did appreciate some of the honesty Don Dockin had. I know you're, you're connected to the Dockin camp sure. a little bit, but. He flat out basically said this is how he makes his money. You know, it's like, what else am I supposed to do? Because I know—and yeah. uh, the weird thing is that, like, because I'll, I'll shit on him, I'll shit on Paul Stanley, I'll, I'll, all this stuff. But the reality is, is, like, wh- what if you are a guy like Don and Like, this is how I pay my bills. This is how I do my mortgage. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, yeah, because Paul Stanley probably doesn't have to worry about his mortgage payments for the rest of his life. Right. But Don doc might— and now you know it doesn't mean it's a good performance, but yeah, I get it now. I mean, it's,
2: Look, you know what, man? I, I've always said this, and I always will. And um, it's it's simple. Don Dockin shows up. There's 900 videos of him sucking on YouTube, so it's it's not like it's a shock what you're going to get. It's right. not like you're expecting 1987 Dockin, and he surprises you with spoken word <laughs> Dockin. It's not like that's what's going on, Right. you know and every time he shows up at a venue there's 5 6 8,000 people in front of him and there's a check for $30,000 waiting for him at the, you know, at at cash out at the at the end of the night. Why wouldn't you do that? If if you could if you could show up, like let's just say that you had laryngitis or something today. And you could you could cancel or you could show up and do it croaking it out and get thirty grand. Which which would you do? So
3: I've I've actually uh, uh, croaked it out for a. <laughs> I guess my personal payday could have only been maybe 100, 100 bucks. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Quick quick side note there on that story. Yeah, basically we were, we were doing a, one of our shows in uh, in 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 Jesus Chrysler. And uh, we had all day to set up, and we we had to bring our own PA and do all this stuff. But that meant a lot of time of me not doing anything, and all I did was smoke cigarettes and drink water. And I, I changed just out of almost like nervousness. I changed, smoked like uh, two and a half packs, got two songs into the show, and lost my voice. Oh. Um, and our drummer sang the rest of the night nice. and if if you, if, you, if you've ever heard him sing, you know how that went uh but which <laughs> which of course you haven't um but so the next day it was just all silent tea, honey, just trying to get to where I could like because we had we were a Friday and Saturday show. Sure. Back-to-back. Uh, back. It was three-hour sets, too. This is like cover gig nights. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I pulled it off, but definitely not my best show, and I'm glad there's no video of it. But, yeah, I, I actually quit smoking the next day. <laughs> I, no nice. joke. Uh, I stopped. I was like, nope. I just, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, for way less money, I did it. What, what I'm weird is that, like, why would like someone like George Lynch or Jeff Pilson go, you know, we should do one more docking record when they it's like I like, do, do you really want to put something I mean like can Don look, I don't know maybe don can can lozenge it up and do one song a day or something like that, but um and, uh, and honestly the recent docking records are pretty solid,
2: yeah, I mean the Empire record was good, but you know what's interesting about that is you say the recent docking records? Well, the recent well, docking record, I ago. believe, was Broken Bones, and that was 10 years ago. Yeah, okay. You know, it's 2012, I think, yeah. was when that came out. You know, it's it, it's not recent. It's 10 more years of, you know, smoking and Jack Daniels on that throat.
0: What's that loud red noise I hear? The leaves are ringing in my ear. Please, the the foundation reset. Oh, my God. It's hey, hey. Hey. Can't go dancing to its beat Maybe tripping over your own feet But till our brothers do get temperamental There ain't no stopping hey. Hey. All about music. Wait before you call it trash All about music. Even though you're close, some call it trash Makes you want to bang your hands Majors to sign all the Rangers. Started with a Banco cream that played like clapping was a dream then I am butterfly and MC5 without airplay and to stay alive Of course blue cheer had the summertime blues that came off air King Led Zeppelin. Shadow Music. Severed by every noble sky. Shadow Music. Massive field amongst blue clouds. Shadow Music. Makes you wanna bang your head. And here come the majors to sign all the rangers. Jimmy Hendrix cried out to the sun The mountain climbing, the onslaught begun. Ozzy and Sabbath filled up the void. the most purple and rainbow, just simply destroyed. Just kept on coming. No more hit on this. From the wilds of New York came the monster's cold kiss. Just reminiscing got me sentimental. You know we're
2: mapping <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I don't blame these guys for doing it. I, I, You know, we we've talked about on the CMS is, you know, everybody loves to beat on Vince, you know, to be honest, Vince Neil is fucking horrible. It's a crime that he goes out there and plays the same show, the same set and gets Motley Crue type money to play solo. It's a crime because he's terrible at it, but you can't blame him. Why? You know, what else? What do you want him to do? You want him to go and be an accountant? That's not going to happen. <laughs> you know he's he's going to go out and show up and clap his hands and sing every other third word and not use any real words. That's what Vince Neil does. That's what he's always done. You got to blame the fans. 100%. One hundred percent. If you're one of these guys that if you go and you think the show sucked and you didn't do any research, that's your fault. And if you if you're like, well, I just want to hear the songs, then don't bitch about it you know it's like you heard them
3: no i i there was a just a recent in the sense of like post covid uh show where i think vince had to like walk off stage he he couldn't finish the show um and uh there is a couple of fellow podcasters that like like this is a crime you shouldn't do this you know it's like and at this point i'm with you i'm like have you paid attention to the last twenty five years? Vince does not give a fuck. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry. I th- to me, I look. I have my thoughts on what Kiss is doing currently, but I'm not gonna fucking. I, I'm not gonna accuse him of duping people anymore at this point. No. If you don't know that's not Ace Freely and Peter Chris, that's on you. They haven't right. hidden the fact. And if you want lip syncing, Paul, well, fucking go get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't really care. I have a problem with it, but but the fact of the matter is like you can't claim to be ripped off when you go see Vince Neal. Right. This is who he but, is he well, he's, you
2: he's, can't you can't with any of them anymore man I mean you you bring up kiss kiss is one of those bands they're bigger than life and i and i I'll, I'll just tell you I'm not a kiss fan really i mean my my favorite two kiss albums are Animal Eyes and Asylum, so that should hmm. tell you the level of fandom I have I'm
3: not love not one hate the other Do you want to guess
2: yeah. <laughs> Uh you hate Asylum. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Everybody hates Asylum except me, but <laughs> No,
3: yeah, I thought that was the case, but once I got a podcast it turns out tons of people love it. Fuck it. Anyway. I
2: love it. I I think it's fun, but you know, I I just I didn't get kiss. I always thought, you know, they look like clowns and they sound like clowns. I mean, that was just my <laughs> deal. You know, and and <laughs> I just never I never got the kiss thing. But I will say this about KISS, and I've always said this about KISS. If you spend money on anything with KISS, you don't get ripped off. You get – KISS goes out of – if if they put out one of the 15 different greatest hits records that they have, every single one of them has an excellent booklet. It's really high-end. It's – you know, the the pictures are clean. It looks really good. It sounds mint, you know, and the same with the shows. If you go to the show – Nobody ever comes out of a Kiss show, whether Paul sounded good or bad, or it was all recorded or pre-recorded or whatever. Nobody comes out of that show going, "Man, that was boring."
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> no, it it doesn't happen. They put on a, they're a circus act, and that's what they do. They they bring you to the circus, the psycho circus, as they will tell you.
3: I use that to to your point as like because uh, a lot of die-hard Kiss fans like to like. They're always getting new fans. It's always good to see the young people out there. Yeah, Look, man, stop it! I I <laughs> I took my kids to a Kiss concert. You know why? Because they're going to have fun. No kid's yeah. not going to not like it. But they're not discovering it like you did. Okay. No. And and I actually I hate that about like our generation. They feel like. I love Star Wars, so my son has to be the biggest Star Wars fan too. Uh, I love Kiss. I love ACDC. You have to like my bands. Oh my God, my kid went to a concert with me. Of course, why would the fuck wouldn't he? What ten-year-old doesn't want to go to see Kiss concert? I mean, right. it's just it's it's very simple. But that's not Kiss, garn pulling in the fans like you when you were ten. It is right. entirely different. They don't give two fucking shits about it. And frankly. You shouldn't want them to if you care about music. Discovery is one of the coolest parts of of of, of getting into music, and the yeah. fact that you're just shoehorning this crap into their life, and then like that's why we we have American Idol and and mm. the Masked Singer, like that, yeah, that's it's fucking awful. It, yeah, that's entertaining. Uh, But, uh, God, you said one other thing I wanted to touch on there, too. Uh, Whatever. Let's just keep going. Uh, Well, no, dude,
2: dude, I I mean, to your point, um, I I agree with you full. Again, we've talked about this on the CMS ad nauseum, but um, I blame our generation on the fact that music is dying. Yes. Because our our generation is so – there's two hallmarks of our generation, guys that are in their 50s to 60s. One, can't listen to anything new. Everybody has to be, dude, it's just not as good as 70s Deep Purple, man. And it's like, well, that's part of the problem. And B, when we're raising our kids, no, we're not spending the time t- teaching them to embrace their shit. You know, what was their stuff at the time? We're still trying to wedge them into Led Zeppelin. And we're still trying <laughs> to wedge them into the Stones and even Metallica or whatever. We're still trying to wedge them into that instead of saying – you know what? Disturbed might have a point. It's not my point, but it's your generation's point. Or whatever band. You know, they're, they're, there's, there was so none of that from, like, all of my friends. They all are the same. They'd love to go see any version of Great White. They don't even want to hear about going and seeing Rival Sons. Who the hell is that? They weren't big. They're not as big as Deep Purple. or you know. It's like, stop it.
3: No, both both my Learn kids. Learn something new. Both my kids got plenty of uh, oh, the shit I like. Let's just put it that way. You know what I mean? They they know mm-hmm. what w- w- what I'm into, but I can tell you that when they started getting into their own bands and started coming to me, it, and well, it it, it would have been okay no matter what it was. You know what I mean? I I really don't care, but the fact that it ended up being heavy music, but it was not what I told them to. You know, it wasn't my sure. collection. You know, that that was to me that was like passing the torch this is how you actually do it um you know but yeah you're so right it's like hey to your point uh you know gen xers uh we love to bitch about millennials but there are fucking kids man like so how do we take no responsibility oh they're all lazy and apathetic and and frankly uh in my experience that's not the case but uh you know the people i work with but that generalization is coming from people that actually birth these kids you know yeah yeah we're fucking helicopter parents where we force our kids to like the things we like and then we think that proves something to us i don't know i just uh, no
2: it it makes no sense man and i agree with you it's you know people bitch and moan that these kids are lazy or they don't do this or that or what have you well blame yourself it's because you plopped them in front of the tv watching you know 24 or whatever instead of instead of going outside and playing baseball or something with them making Mm. them you know earn something making them making them work you know how it's funny when you hear some of these kids some of the younger kids today and they're like they don't know they don't even know what you mean about like working (laughs) you know they don't understand (laughs) that you know they don't understand that they never had a parent that told them, go cut the grass or go, you know, go do this and I'll pay for your movies or I'll give you $10 allowance or whatever. They don't even understand that. They're so – their their understanding is, hey, it's there when I need it. Well, who taught them that? Right. You taught them that. Yep. <laughs> you know? that's, and that's why, that's why it is the way it is is because we taught them that. And as far as our entertainment goes, you know – Every, every, I'm sure you're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it, too. Thankfully, not to the upteenth level that it ruined my kids. But that generation, what did we all do? We bought our kids every goddamn system there was to play games on. Sure. You know, we bought them. Xbox comes out with Xbox One. Buy it. PS3, PS4, PS5. Buy it. Sega Genesis, you know Nintendo sixty four. We bought all these as as our kids grew up for our kids. And guess what? Now our kids don't want to do nothing but play video games. <laughs> Imagine that. <You> know?
3: <laughs> I bought all my own game systems, and I sure. think I may have bought one system for for uh, one of the kids. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, man. You just gotta you gotta. You know, buck up a little bit. I, I personally, I, I would love it if, if it became a trend that, like, you can have a cell phone when you can pay the monthly bill. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, but now everybody wants to be in constant contact with their child because, you know, somebody's going to, you know, pick them up walking down the street and, and rape right. them and then throw them in a the ditch and kill them or something. Um, mm-hmm. not, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I just don't think it's a realistic uh expectation of life. Yeah. Uh, I guess.
2: Dude, dude when, when you and I were 8, nine, ten years old, not only did we not have <laughs> cell phones, we weren't even allowed to use the phone. Re- remember those days? Yeah. If, if you said, yeah, I'm going to call some Wait a minute. Who are you calling? What's the phone number? Who's their parents? Remember all those days before you could make a phone call at mm. like 9 or 10? There, there was none of this carry it around with you and you know, tweet that I'm on the playground eating candy, come and rape me. You know, there was none of there was none of <laughs> that availability back then.
3: You go ride your bike for five hours and come home. And they yeah. had no idea what you did. Exactly. And, and we were so poor. I don't know if you even know what I'm talking about, but we had a party line. Do you know what that is? On the, on the, oh,
2: yeah. I remember the party yeah. line. Sure.
3: Yeah, we shared it with, like, a neighbor. You might pick up the phone, and they might be already on the call right. with somebody else. And you'd have to, like, you know, come back in 20 minutes to see if they were done talking. Right. You know? Or <laughs> if you wanted to have fun, maybe sometimes you eavesdrop a little bit. and Yeah. Oh my god! Exactly. (laughs) Good stuff. Oh, let's bring it back to uh, Megaforce Records, Johnny Z, and uh, you know, let's let's talk about his his wife a little bit because they 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 were basically very symbiotic, almost a yin and yang thing. They were a team. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It was always John and Marsha's Zazula, Uh, Mm -hmm. but uh, his book came out, then his wife died, and then he died, and it's just been kind of like this little weird slow kind of like fall into some some kind of abyss i don't know it's it's yeah, weird no, because
2: you know what man and i'm not necessarily a believer in this but johnny z and Marsha really kind of make me sort of at least consider it is we you always hear about that that type of a situation that when when so-and-so's life partner dies that the that the spirit to keep living dies with the other one and then they a lot of times they do die quickly because of it and you know, I, I don't know if you had Johnny Z on Facebook. I'm assuming you probably did. I but did, yeah. Every post that he made in the last year was, I miss my wife, I wish she was here, you know, this isn't the same, you know, it, or or pictures of him and her together. Yeah. It's very clear that it, you know, we're, we'll talk about Johnny Z in the in the realm of what he did for our lives as it relates to pop culture. He lost his, he lost half of his life, I think, when Marsha died. And I I don't know this to be true. I'm totally guessing here, but I would be willing to bet that he wasn't too terribly upset to go himself. I mean, I'm sure he was upset to leave his kids and whatever, but I'm sure Johnny did seem like he was sort of a little bit spiritual in that regard. And um, I have a very strong feeling he was like, I'm finally going to be back where I need to be, where I should be next to my partner. At least that's, and again, I don't want to get all weird and ghosty and, you know, religious-y, sure. but, um you know, I, I do get that sense about that guy that, you know, this was the, this is where he felt he needed to go. He didn't need to keep fighting. He didn't need to keep, you know, to be here anymore. Like, he had done everything he needed to
3: do. I am, like, um, the opposite of spiritual in almost any sense. Uh, okay. Like, uh, being, I was raised Lutheran. And I, so I went to church all the time, and and I was raised by religious people. My extended sure. family are very religious, but the most natural thing in the world to me was to not go, not want to be there. It was just, <laughs> it was just boring. I just, I didn't like it. it. It, it kept me away from other things, and it just sucked. Um, and I'm also like, but, but, and, and my, my lovely wife, she believes in ghosts. I do not. So the, that, that, that kind of mechanism. But I'll tell you this though. I married late in life and Mm -hmm. I don't think I could have married better. And I got to tell you, man, there's part of me in the back of my head that every now and then goes, I hope I go first. <laughs> I, just, I just, much to what you're saying, I don't know. I can, I understand what you're saying because I, in a sense, I sort of relate it. And like you said, it happens all the time mm-hmm. where, where you see s- two, uh, people who have been together for a long time and one of them passes, the other one goes, you know, within the next year. It's just, yeah, it is crazy and it's, it's, you can't really ignore it. And it kind of shoots holes in all my theories on how, like, s- spirits and ghosts and all this crap don't, <laughs> don't exist. But, uh, uh, yeah. So I, I get it. Yeah. And it de- yeah. I, it definitely much, I got to tell you, that was one of the first things I thought of too. It was mm-hmm. like, wow, she he, she just died like a year ago. And it was almost a year. Like I said, it was like a few days yeah. apart. So.
2: Mm-hmm. That's it. That really seems to be the over. heads in general don't really believe in God a lot of the time. <laughs> you know,
3: they don't believe you know in why? God, we're heaven, hell, smarter than other you know, people.
2: <laughs> right, but but of of all the guys to go spiritual with, here's the guy that literally introduced heavy metal to the masses, mm. and and everybody's leaning towards spirituality from a world that really doesn't have spirituality in it. It's right. quite the quite the weird um, conundrum, I guess.
3: <laughs> well, Chris, I really appreciate your time, especially doing this last minute. Like we talked about, um, sure. Do, is there a playout track you'd like to have? Uh, something that uh, Johnny Z was a part of?
2: Um, chew Uh, just go with um, go with any anything you want to off of all for one. Um, sledgehammer was it? Sledgehammer rock. That's a good one.
3: All right, there it is, man. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Once again, check out Chris and Neely on the classic metal show, which has been. I mean, my God, how many years has it been going on now? Started our twenty seventh. Jesus fuck, man! Was the internet even around when you guys started? No, but I, I mean, we
2: it was on commercial radio for a while, and then it moved to the internet in okay. two thousand and five. And I mean, it was it was the early, early, early days, and and even the podcasting. I mean, we were when we started podcasting. It was us and talking metal. We were the only two in the Damn. in the rock and metal genre at the time. So. We've been around forever, man, but it's, um, and we're still going.
3: Titans, baby. Kings of uh, kings of the, the the genre. Oh, I know. Hey, real quick, uh, I appreciated yeah. the fact that uh, Oh Cobras on Fire made the list of the shows that you you, you a recent episode is somewhat recent where you yeah, ran yeah. ran down the list of podcasts you listen to week to week. So I, I appreciate that. Oh um, no problem, dude. I do listen week to week. I mean, it,
2: it wasn't like I was just trying to hype my friends. I literally pulled up my phone and just read down what was on my phone. I yeah. I get the podcast every week and I I listen. You know, I, I work from home, so I have more opportunity than most to mm-hmm. listen to a lot of podcasts, and um, I enjoy what you guys do. You guys are you guys are silly as fuck sometimes, but I
3: love sure. that. You know, and, uh, no, I appreciate the support. You've always been very kind to us with your time, and, and like you said, the, the support. But yeah, I, I'm more of a binger. You know what I mean? Because I don't I, sure. I don't work at home, and like I'll all of a sudden like, well, today is like a a talk to me day, so I'm going to hit eight fucking episodes while I'm at right. home. You know. Especially if, I, if I'm home alone, you know, then I can put right. it on the, I can put it on the stereo and I can just pull, blast it while I'm cleaning the house or put petting the cats or whatever,
2: <laughs> right? But, <laughs> Nice. Well, and if you're listening to me again, you can listen to me because I'm yeah. there now too. So. Yeah,
3: right on. Yeah, those have been fun too. Yeah, I was busting his balls recently about that, but no, it's all all, all good, all love. And again, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, you know, contribute to the show, you know, give us some sure content, enough. but also just you know, you're a guy who uh, can definitely relate to the what we're talking about today. Yeah, Johnny Z, uh, just a monster, uh, a, a tastemaker, I guess. I don't know what. Yeah. What do you want? Just give me some final words on Johnny Z.
2: Uh, just, you know, sad, sad loss. But, uh, you know, I personally am going to choose to rem- remain, you know, a fan. You know, for, first and foremost, I'm a fan of Johnny Z and I'm thankful to Johnny and Marsha for giving me an entertainment that has lasted me and will last me until my day. You know, I mean, that's from from the time I was, what, 10, 11 years old until the current yeah. day, I listen to the music that he provided. And even if you even if you're not into Metallica or Raven or Testament or one of those, if you're into the even the more modern stuff, the Slipknots or the World or Killswitch Engage or anything modern, none of that stuff exists without this guy. None of it does because this guy launched it to where people saw that it could make money, and then they took their chances. And if you listen to heavy music at all. Johnny Z is is a reason why, and I don't think he ever got enough credit for that, I don't think he will ever get enough credit for that, but one of the biggest, biggest, most influential guys in heavy metal history, if not the biggest, as far as I'm concerned.
3: Belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: Amen. Amen. Amen you know considering that place is such a sham let's get one let's get one realistic person in
3: there please all right thanks again chris uh again the classic metal show everybody go check it out so have a good night man cool man
0: say to everybody you have to have a supreme belief that what you're doing is the right thing and that it's going to happen or don't waste your time it's got to be something you really feel it's going to happen and you feel progress coming all the time if you don't and you don't put everything into it you're wasting your time yep